Without Jerry McNamara, we wouldn't have won 10 games this year. Okay? Not 10. DeVito, pop pass, end zone, touchdown, and the ball game! DeVito, in relief, wins it for the Orange! They don't know about the Kumbaya meetings we had this week. Swing and a miss! It is over! The Boston Red Sox, baseball's best all season long. They have won it all. The Bills make me want to Josh Allen, touchdown Buffalo. A 14-yard quarterback draw. Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20. And a celebration begins. This is on the block. Right, you know, there's validity in that opinion. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1, ESPN Radio, Utica, Rome, heard on 96.5 FM, heard everywhere, no matter what you're doing, the ESPN app, download that thing, you find us, and off you go. All you ghosts and goblins out there, happy Halloween. Very wet Halloween here in central New York. Very, to use a uh, cliche on this day, a dark and stormy night is surely ahead. And the trick-or-treaters, you might want to put on a leash because it's going to be very windy and stormy and rainy. But we are tough, hardened central New Yorkers. And nothing will keep us from free candy. Nothing! So happy Halloween, everybody. Lots to do on the show today, as we do every Thursday on the program, presented by CNYRealtor.com, presented by Charles Heating, Air Conditioning, Plumbing, and Electrical. He's the head coach, Dino Babers. Thanks, Brent. Thank you, Coach. We will hear from him later in the program. You will hear much more from Coach Babers immediately following our show on... The Dino Baber Show, which is live at the Press Room Pub and live on your radios over on Brostad TK99 and here on ESPN Radio AM 1200. So that is on the way. Plenty of Syracuse football talk in that vein. The blind side, hot takes, the Washington Nationals with plenty of Central New York connections are your World Series champions. Syracuse and Boston College approaches on Saturday at the Dome. Syracuse basketball Back in the normal, everyday conversation here. It's right around Halloween time. You make that shift, right? It gets colder at night. It's dark already. Feeling that. All the leaves are down, right? Like, you're looking in the backyard like, okay, I got to go take care of that. It's that time of year when hoops just comes back into your life full-time. It's always there part-time, right? But full-time back in our lives. So we will certainly discuss that, but... Uh, before we get to any of that, I would like to pass along my annual Halloween message to everybody, which, first of all, of course, is be safe out there tonight. Look out for the kids. Wear bright colored clothing. Drive very slowly. Let's keep it safe out there, particularly on a windy, rainy night. Harder to see all the trick-or-treaters out there. So everybody, please be safe on this Halloween. Second message is this. If you hand out 
something to trick-or-treaters. If you have the gall, if you have the gumption, if you have the appalling decision to look a trick-or-treater in the eye after they have come to your door and rang that doorbell, said trick-or-treat, and you reach into that, whatever it is, the pumpkin, the big bowl, people have lots of creative things that they do to keep the candy, whatever it is, and you pull out that most hideous thing wrapped in a yellow package. Oh, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. If you hand that child, that innocent child that came to you and trusted you to give them delicious Halloween candy, and you hand them a mellow cup, then you, first of all, how dare you? Second of all, you need to be reported for child abuse. Third of all, just don't do it. Just of all the choices in the world, we will once and for all eradicate the mallow cups. We have not gotten there yet, but we will we will fight the fight. We will press on until the world is rid of this horrid candy. Now, if your child comes home and of course you're gonna go through the candy and you're gonna make sure, as best as you can, as the head candy inspector in the house, that's one of the great things about being a parent is that your children come home and you're the head candy inspector. I don't know. That Snickers that looks kind of suspicious to me. I'm going to put that one aside, right? Like, that's what you do. Now, in the course of surveying this candy, if you do find, I don't even want to say the name, but we have to create awareness, okay? If you find a mallow cup in your child's Halloween bag, and this will be a little more difficult than usual because it's raining like cats and dogs out there tonight, but this must be done. There is only one way to properly dispose of a mallow cup, and that is to immediately burn it. So, in a safe way, immediately, and I mean immediately, take that thing into a safe fireplace of some sort and burn it. Don't throw it away. Don't eat it. Don't give it to somebody else who actually enjoys these things because these people are monsters, real-life monsters walking amongst us on Halloween. No, burn it immediately. And I don't mean, like, on a s'more. I mean, burn it with fire. That's hot. Darn right it is. I'm getting upset. I have to calm down. It's my annual Halloween message to everybody out there. One day, I will not have to do this message. There will, there will come a day where I will come on this radio show on Halloween, and that will be a memory. That will be something we used to have to do, right? Much like uh, when I trick-or-treated as a kid, and we had like those plastic masks you couldn't even see through. If somebody accidentally threw a lit match or a cigarette on you, you would be engulfed in flames, right? Like, we kind of figured out, like, yeah, maybe these things aren't safe. <laughs> we should kind of work on those, right? In much the same way we have evolved there, somehow the Mallow Cup has made it through all these safety checks for all the years. Think of the helicopter parents and how people are so much more aware of what their children are consuming and doing, and somehow Mallow Cups still exist. I, I, I'm, 
I am befuddled by this. But you, you can make a difference. Yes, you. Burn it with fire. The more you know. Let's talk some World Series here. Few things to discuss here from a World Series front. And I give producer Josh credit. Producer Josh, our resident Houston Astros fan, was probably feeling pretty good for a while with Zach Granke plowing the road, dealing, just looking amazing on that mound. Another world championship to come. Perhaps a dynasty was forming in Houston, Texas with this team. Now, that didn't happen as we know, and I want to get to A.J. Hinch, and I want to get to some questionable decision-making and how this played out. But the lead, if you are doing a radio program in the chair that I am in, is that the winning pitcher of the World Series is a Syracuse native, someone who at one point in time was throwing off a mound at Cicero North Syracuse High School, was throwing off a mound at Mohawk Valley Community College, worked his way up to become one of the better pitchers in Major League Baseball. We all had him pegged for the New York Yankees in the offseason. A toast at Patrick Corbin's wedding, which took place a few months ago. He's having a great run here before the season started. Kind of hinted at that, right? But ultimately, he decided the best place for him to be was the Washington Nationals. A Washington Nationals team that on June 1st of this year had a .01% chance to win the World Series. A team that on June 1st of this year was so far off the radar screen that to proclaim them in the hunt for a championship at that point, you would be you would be scorned. You would be much like the Mallow Cup. You would be just cast aside as some sort of freak. Shame, shame, shame. 0.1% chance to win the World Series. They have the same record on that date as the Detroit Tigers. Now, ironically, the Detroit Tigers provided a lot of pictures in this World Series, but that's a whole different topic for a different day. But what the Washington Nationals proved is what the St. Louis Blues also proved this year. And there is a common thread on all championship teams. There is no model to build a championship team. If there was, then it'd be it'd be easy. You've got to have talent. You've got to have great coaching and or managing. You've got to have a good front office. You've got to have all those pieces that are obvious. But championship teams, most of them, the common thread, the common denominator is the one thing, and this, this gives me great pleasure. It does. It gives me great pleasure to say this. That's hot. It sure is, right? No, but it does, because we live in an analytical society. We live in a society where the number crunchers feel like they can construct a championship team devoid of human emotion. They can build you a team that does not factor in years of human instinct. They can build a team based on data, numbers, and things that have no emotion. And I'm here to tell you that that is not the way to do it. It's part of the process. You are smart to embrace what analytics and numbers and 
All the uh, my Boston Red Sox did it last year, even with a team that had the highest payroll in baseball. There's a place for it. I don't want to sit here and sound like ogre nerds. No, there is, there is an obvious place for it. But what you cannot put on a spreadsheet is what this team has. A team that had the best player in baseball a year ago did not this year, but with that player moving on, and Bryce Harper and Mike Trout, of course, is in that conversation as well. They had the right mixture of talent, payroll, all the pieces that it takes to build a championship team, but they had chemistry. And some people roll their eyes at that. There are certain things in sports you cannot put on a piece of paper and hand to me. There's a feeling. There's a chemistry. Some people don't believe in momentum. They don't believe in fate. They don't, you're only as good as that day's starting pitcher. And logical thinkers will tell you that. But what I saw in a St. Louis Blues team that was at one point in last place in the National Hockey League, what I saw in a Washington Nationals team that at one point had a .01% chance of winning the World Series was a chemistry, a belief, a confidence. There's always a hook with this. With the Blues, it was Gloria. With the Nationals, it was Baby Shark, and it was hugging Steven Strasburg, and it just was things that bring a team together. Now, what those two sports also have in common is that the seasons are very long. But that's just it. The sport itself is not enough to sustain you that long as much time as that occupies and you work at your craft, and that's certainly going to keep you busy. But think of the great teams that you've been on in life, let alone in sports. And the common thread with all of them, and I feel this way with the great places that I've worked, that I've the teams that I've been on, however you want to phrase this, is while maybe you were good at what you did and achieved something, it was the chemistry, it was the camaraderie of the people around you. It maybe made a job, didn't feel like a job. A little league team that didn't win the championship, but boy, they gave you everything they had. A high school football team that not only went far, but they were fun to coach. Like There's special teams that come along. That, that 1996 Syracuse basketball team that made a Final Four run, they had no business being in that Final Four. But they found something. They believed in themselves. They had a hook. The Cuse is in the house. Like There's a certain model there that you cannot construct that no computer will tell you how to do. The human element in sports, the chemistry of a championship team, defying the odds, finding something that clicks and riding that wave till it hits the beach, that's what I saw in that Nationals team. Against one of the best-constructed rosters in baseball, that when Zach Cranky went out and things were starting to fall apart, you can see it in their eyes. You can see it in their body language. The Nationals, went that feeling that broadcasters try and put into context for you, like they're playing with nothing to lose, like all these cliches that we use, that's when a team reaches that certain level. And if you've ever felt that in life, albeit briefly, that's what championship teams do. Some are just robo-teams constructed with the highest resume, have the most talent, and win that way. This isn't a flawless theory of mine that's across the board of every championship team ever. Some teams are just that much better. We've heard of championship teams that had awful chemistry. Shaq and Kobe could have won a heck of a lot more in Los Angeles if those two, you know, egos could fit in the same room. 
Michael Jordan and the Bulls won six championships, never lost a championship series, despite all the stories we heard about how cutthroat Jordan was with his own team. That's what makes sports great. That's why I tweeted it last night. You got to love sports. Because with all the data, all the analytics, all the technology, we still haven't quite figured out how to do it. And that is the beauty of it. Sometimes the best answers are left unsaid. Because if we did figure that out, wouldn't it take away that special belief, that hope, that reason that we watch? That's why we watched last night. And that's why no matter how well Zach Ranke was pitching, no matter what the Astros did, there's something about that Nationals team that we've seen whenever you picked up on it, whenever you got on this train at the end of the season, in the postseason, in the NLCS, maybe yesterday. But there's something about that team that made you say, don't give up on them until the fat lady comes out and belts out those tunes. Congratulations to Patrick Corbin. Congratulations to all the players that came through Syracuse, New York, as members of the Syracuse Chiefs. I mean, this is what, this is what, I want to talk about this a little bit more on the other side. When Steven Strasburg took the hill, in an environment that will be hard to replicate in this town. This is what we were told he would be, exactly what we saw develop in this World Series. So I want to get into more of the local aspect of this next. You're certainly welcome to join the party at 437-7644, Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The text line is 288-0644. Let's get a stock market update first. My man Joe from Lee Baldwin & Company is here to do that. Joe, happy Halloween. How are you, sir? Same to you, X. Joe, what was your? How's everything today? Everything's great, man. What was your What was your favorite Halloween costume as a kid? Uh, well, I mean, when I was a kid, you know, we would just dress up as like you know certain action figures and things like that. It was it was kind of different back then. See, we used to go to uh, old school reference here. We'd go to Switz's here in Syracuse. Os- mm-hmm. Oscar the ogre looking over everything, and you just find. Like those plastic masks and that, like the, exactly. the piece of plastic for whatever was big. So five years in a row, because I had to get a new one every year because they were so cheap, you could only wear them once. Darth Vader, five years in a row. I mean, mm-hmm. you got to go with it, right? Yep. My man. So, what were they feeling like on on Wall Street today? Were they spooked by anything? Were they happy to get some treats? How, how did it go? Yeah, no, we were down a little bit today. Uh, the Dow was down 140 points, closing at 27,046. The S&P was down nine points, closing at 3,037. Uh, the diamond of the day was Apple, up $5.41, closing at 248.70. And the dog of the day was Wayfair, down $18.82, closing at 82.26. Joe, thank you so much. Enjoy your Halloween. Stay safe. Stay dry Take it easy there. now. Okay, buddy, be good. That's uh, our friend Joe from Lee Baldwin and Company. LeeBaldwin.com. Find him in Kaz, Manlius, Utica. Stop in so you have more diamonds than dogs on your portfolio. We'll break on that note, talk a little bit more about the World Series, getting to some SU football coming up here on the block, ESPN Radio. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. I met him 15 years ago. I was told there was nothing left. No, no reason, no conscious, no understanding. Even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank 
pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized what was living behind that boy's eyes. And purely and simply evil. Oh, Michael has come home. Happy Halloween, everybody. Still the best. Not only Halloween movie, but scary movie of all time. Still watch it every year. Still get creeped out, but I know they've got the remakes with Jamie Lee Curtis, and they put out new footage of that today, by the way. Great day to do it. And That original, though, man, just... With, even with all its flaws, like, they're in Illinois, but everybody's driving cars with California license plates and many other mistakes that they made in that movie with... Uh, the low budget they had to make it still an absolute classic. Happy Halloween, everybody. Welcome back or welcome aboard. Great to have you here on the block. ESPN Radio coming up. Our good friend, Coach Babers. Thanks, Brent. I did. I failed to ask what Coach is going as for Halloween, but you can maybe see tonight. I'm not sure if he's going to dress up or not, but Coach will be at the Press Room Pub tonight doing his radio program. From 6 until 8, it is on Brostat, TK99, and here on ESPN Radio AM 1200. We'll hear from the coach coming up in about 15 minutes. Uh, more on Syracuse basketball, more on Syracuse football. We'll go on the blind side and have some more Halloween fun here. But speaking of parties, how about this? For the Virginia game on Wednesday. Now, we kind of live in this second-screen world. I know when I watch games like last night, the World Series, SU games, it's actually kind of part of my job to have a second screen, but fans always have that other screen open, right? If it's Twitter or something like that, well, we've got something you want to check out while you are checking out the Syracuse-Virginia season opener. A special watch party. How about this? Lawrence Moten, heard of that guy. Eric Devendorf, heard of that guy. Roosevelt Bowie, heard of that guy. Dale Shackelford, heard of that guy. They're going to join Seth Goldberg right here in our Armory Square studios and react live Pardon me, to the action during Syracuse, Virginia. Like you're getting instant analysis, conversation, back and forth, raw, unedited, as as the game happens from four Syracuse greats. You can watch that show live. Okay, keep this uh, website in mind here. Twitch.tv slash Cuse Sports Talk. That's twitch.tv slash Talk. It all starts at 8.45 before Syracuse takes on the defending national champion, Virginia. A different, and I think it will be a really unique viewing experience. You can watch the game with Lawrence Moe and Eric Devendorf, Roosevelt Bowie, Dale Shackelford, yeah, it's Seth Goldberg guy. It's all happening uh, for the Syracuse-Virginia game. Keep it in mind, twitch.tv slash Talk. Syracuse football. Coming up Saturday at the Dome, a nooner, on Brostat TK99 here on ESPN Radio AM 1200. Come see, excuse me, come see uh, Seth Goldberg and I will be hanging at Shaughnessy's before the game as always. And look, it's an important game for a lot of reasons. It's an important game to keep your season on track, to salvage something. It's a important game for Syracuse to go into a bye week with a win, to keep your fans engaged, to care, to you know, really be involved. Because if they go into a bye week with a loss, people are going to forget about you. They're going to forget you're there. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, they still got three games left. I'm sorry, I kind of flipped the channel and 
went over to basketball permanently here, particularly with what I just brought up. You're starting the season with Virginia. There's some really interesting non-conference games right out of the chute here for Syracuse basketball that is going to test a young team. And, you know, Syracuse fans can be impatient, but with basketball they know it's a marathon and it's not a sprint, and you got to watch things develop. They know there's four new starters. They know there's a lot of young players on that team. So, yeah, they'll still call the show and tell Bayheim how to do his job, but... It's still a situation. Dumb. Yes, thank you, Coach. It's still a situation where you know it's the long haul. Whereas football, it is two, three months, and you can kind of tell when a season's going off the rails. Like, you know, if they don't beat Boston College and make it really hard to qualify for a bowl game as opposed to last year where the interest built. The interest built because you're like, whoa, this is happening. They're wow, they're winning games. Look at the whoa. They're six and two. Wait, they're back in the poll. Wait, what? Wait, they're not only going to a bowl game. What bowl game are they going to here? To the point where, right to the moment they announced those bowl games, you were on the edge of your seat. There was drama. There was intrigue. There was interest. People were feeling great again, right? Where this year it's the opposite. Interest will decline. People will not engage, and they'll just stop caring. Particularly if you lose and go into a bye week and disappear. But I brought that up with hoops. So you start with Virginia, and then you got a, a couple games in there that you should win. You should certainly beat Colgate at home. You should certainly beat Seattle at home. You should certainly beat Cornell in the annual Bayheim Bowl. And you get Bucknell. Bucknell's a good team that consistently wins that league, has been in the tournament consistently in the last decade. Not an easy game. Then you get Oklahoma State in Brooklyn as part of the NIT season tip-off at the Barclays Center, turn around on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, and play either Old Miss or Penn State. Then you get Iowa in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Now, it's right about here where football is ending. Their last game is November 30th, so that's going to be a very busy sports weekend because you got Oklahoma State, you got another basketball game in the uh, NIT tip-off in Brooklyn, Last football game against Wake Forest, who's good this year. And by then, like, you want some drama in that game. Even if it's they've got to win to qualify for a bowl game, at least it gives you a reason to watch. Now, I'm going to be watching, and most of you are going to be watching. I'm talking about the fans that are there, and you can call them fair weather all you want. They round out the fan base. They're part of the fan base, and you don't fill the dome without those fair weather fans. But if they're you know, thinking about maybe going to chop down a Christmas tree that day instead of watching football. It's right about there where basketball goes into overdrive because you got Iowa in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Georgia Tech, hey, let's insert another ACC game in here. I think Georgia Tech's, you know, (laughs) they're having a bit of trouble down there. NCAA trouble and coaching issues, and I don't think Georgia Tech is a team that, let's say, you're not going to be as worried about as you are Virginia, but it's the ACC, and you don't take anybody for granted in that league. And then you take a week off and you go to Georgetown. And then you round out with Oakland, North Florida, Niagara, and then, hey, guess what? It's ACC time full-time. With a couple of, uh, air, air quotes, warm-up games against Virginia and Georgia Tech. So it's about keeping people engaged and caring in what you're doing. And if you lose to Boston College, go into a bye week, come out of that, are people even going to care? And I... I there. Speaking of tired takes, one of my new things that we'll do on this show, 
when do people feel like they can speak for everybody? Like this happens to me often enough that it's annoying. It probably happens to you in some cases too. And it's you feel like you are the grand, like the town crier, right? And you bring up something. Let's say in this case, I bring up, okay, well, Syracuse football is playing Boston College. And there are people on social media and other platforms that get up on their box and they are the town crier. They say, no one cares. Who made you the spokesman for everyone? I love that. That that immediately is a trigger for me to mute you on Twitter. The no one cares guy, like there is... That is as tired a take as it gets. Like, who declared you the spokesman for everyone? No one cares. Maybe you don't care, but that doesn't mean you can speak for everybody. Now, in this case, in the example I'm giving, you might be right about that one. So no one cares guy is going to have a field day. Because if they lose to BC, go in the bye week, come out of the bye week, and I'm reminding you, which will now be, in early November, hey, they're playing Duke this week. Ah, oh, no one cares. Football. Who are they? They got a lost season. Whatever you know, shots on Twitter people will take. And in this case, I'm not going to have a big pushback on you. To go from last year, where the interest and we weren't used to this around here, but the interest built because of what they were doing to this year, where it's going to decline. If and even if they do. A lot of the skeptics and a lot of the people that have kind of given up already will say, well, you're just delaying the inevitable. You're kicking the can down the road. To me, you got to do whatever you can to keep that interest and kick the can down the road. It's startling to think about that, but that's kind of where this season has gone. And you can point fingers and state your reasons for the reasons that's the way the season has gone. The offensive line, quarterback play, if you have questions about some coaching things, whatever it is, whatever it is, that's where we sit today. So it is a must win against Boston College in many descriptions. To me, it's most important and must win. You got to keep people engaged. You got to get people to care. You got to get people to hang in there. Other than the diehards that'll be there no matter what. Got to keep them there. And a win, even then, it's like that scene from a movie where the guy's kind of reaching over the cliff and the guy's like, I got you, I got you. And he, like they lock grips, but he still has to like, okay, I got to pull you back up here. And there's still like some drama. Like, what? He, he, he still might fall. And as I've stated, it's also a must win because you can beat this team. Boston College, I look, A.J. Dillon, all-world player. I don't need to give you A.J. Dillon's resume, Okay. They also have a great rusher in David Bailey. They also have a green quarterback. They have a passing game. where I like Hunter Long. He's a great player. I'm not trying to knock the guy, but their leading pass catcher is a tight end who has 20 catches. Like, they don't have an aerial attack. Their defense is a total of eight sacks. They're 126 in the country. And they're coming off now... You never know. This could motivate them. They just got humiliated by Clemson last week, which a lot of people do. So you're going to have a motivated team. Not only, Let's not forget this. I haven't even brought this up this week. Now, Eric Dungy's no longer on this team, but Eric Dungy comes out last year and single-handedly beats Boston College in their place. 
Don't think that Steve Adazio's not going to bring that up. Now, he's not there. You can't exact revenge on him, but they're going to be a motivated bunch. And if the crowd is lame and people check out and start getting frustrated and it's quiet in there and A.J. Dillon gets going and you kind of have that here-we-go-again feeling, then, like I said, not only are you losing a football game, I think you're losing interest in the rest of the season. Let's see what Corey thinks on the block, ESPN Radio at 437-7644. What's up, Corey? Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Uh, quick question for you. Sure. Um, we traveled, me and my friends, we traveled down to Florida State. We watched the game, had a great time. But does it come to a point where uh, Coach Baber's ship or whatever could sink with Tommy DeVito not having a successful season or career at SU? Corey, that's a heck of a question because it, it depends on how long he sticks with him because right now he's got the backdrop, the excuse, whatever you want to call it, of this offensive line is so bad that no matter what quarterback you put out there, they're going to struggle, right? But it, it's a fair question to ask, and thanks for the call, Corey. How long do you hit your wagon to Tommy? How long are you embedded to him? How long do you ride this out? He was Dino's big recruit. He was his guy, four-star quarterback within that six-hour window, Elite 11, the guy they groomed and brought in, and that was a big score for a lot of different reasons. A four-star recruit who's, you know, quasi-local, who had other big offers in that Elite 11 category, who not only committed to Syracuse, but committed early, was selling Syracuse to other recruits, helped get other players. Like, DeVito was a whole thing, Right. So he comes out full-time after some flashes where he showed, hey, the future looks bright, and has struggled mightily. Has struggled mightily with an offensive line that's a mess. Has struggled mightily for some issues that are not his fault. But at some point, you got to look in the mirror and say, yeah, that's on you. That's on you for only having eyes for Tristan Jackson, for timing, for... I mean, there's faults that are there in DeVito's game, but his clock is so off. He has been so wrecked physically and mentally by the pounding he has taken this year that it's almost, and it's a, boy, you hate to say it, but you're almost wasting a year of his development. They have, we've heard, I forget the kid's name off the top of my head, pardon me, but the North Carolina transfer that's looking to come in here. I mean, you always have to build depth at the quarterback position. And Clayton Welch is going to graduate. Like, you literally need bodies there, so it's not like you're recruiting because you're giving up on DeVito, but how long are you going to ride that train? Could you hitch your wagon to him to your detriment if he doesn't develop at the rate he should? That's a fair question from Corey, and I'm going to be fascinated to find out when we kind of know uh, that that train comes back to the station. I will not ask Coach Babers about that because we've already had our conversation with Coach Babers, but we will ask him about DeVito. We will ask him about Boston College, the state of this team, and we will get Coach Babers' thoughts on name, image, and likeness in the news that came about with that this week. You'll hear it next. Stay right there on the block ESPN Radio.